0: Hopefully we've fixed some of those sound issues. We've just brought the microphone a little closer and I'll come a little closer too. There are lots of changes and lots of changes that we're struggling to get our heads around. We've never been in a situation like this before. None of us have lived through a global pandemic And what we've seen, I think, in the last couple of weeks is the unleashing of another kind of pandemic, a pandemic of fear. We don't know what will happen. We don't know what will happen in terms of our lives, our health, financially, locally, globally. Things feel unstable. And when things are like this, when they're unstable and when they're uncertain. They become frightening. And we've seen people's fears expressed in lots of different ways. Fears driven by things that seem so out of control, out of control possibly for the first time in our lives. We're confronted with the reality that when we're not in control, no one could be. But for us as Christian people, we know that when we are confronted with the reality that we are not in control, we know that God is. And yet we still fear. We still have the same issues and problems, potential problems and current problems, that our whole world faces. So how are we as Christians to be different? We've seen... There's not only a pandemic of fear, but there's also been a pandemic of disappointment and disruption. Weddings postponed, plans cancelled, beaches closed. It's a pandemic of hardship as well. Healthcare workers risking themselves, working overtime. Small business owners facing the threat of potential closure. The elderly struggling to get essentials. And there's also a pandemic of grief. We as a society are already lonely. And as wise and as prudent as social distancing is, if you struggle with loneliness, you know that social distancing is a sentence of misery. And only in the last couple of days, I think it's a pandemic of judgement. With people judging others, that their response is too drastic, or their response is not drastic enough. We are brought into, if you like, a New Testament world of judging those who are clean and unclean. David Brooks, an American common uh, American writer, made the point last week that with natural disasters, they drive people together because you know the threat. But with pandemics, and he's looked at some of the history of pandemics. Pandemics, in a pandemic, everyone is a threat. In a world where convenience, normality, safety, and even life might be taken, what we're going to do this morning is turn to a God who gives. We believe in a gracious God, and he's gracious because he gives. And he hasn't ceased to give, even in the midst of this situation that we face. I'd love for you to turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7. And I'm going to refer to a passage there that's uh, really the heart of what we're going to see today. Now I've got a, uh, I've, And if you don't have it, if you're not able to turn to it, I've got it here. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. Might get a bit, of sticky, a bit more. What we're gonna see today thanks, is that three things you can see there. Firstly that we're not under-resourced as much as we see empty shelves, but we've been given by our gracious God tremendous power. Secondly, that things aren't out of control as much as others might think they are. And thirdly, we're going to see that we're not driven by fear, but we have the opportunity to love and to be wise As we respond. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says this. But for God did not give us a spirit of fear. But a spirit of power. And of love. And of self discipline. Elsewhere Paul writes that Christians. In a similar way aren't to fear. They haven't been given a spirit of fear. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. And he writes it. To say that they can be assured that God is with them in salvation. That they can be assured that they can call him Father and that he has saved them. Here, as Paul writes to Timothy, his apprentice, his helper, he wants to assure him that just as there is no fear as to the certainty of salvation, there's no fear as we live our lives and as we engage in the ministry of the gospel, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's interesting that Paul uses that language of a spirit of fear. It's almost like a possession of fear. And there is a sense we've seen so many in our world be possessed by fear. So fear is so deep within them. Our experts who think about what makes humans tick, like psychologists, will tell us that fear is is perhaps the most fundamental driver of all human people. And yet, God has given us something different. He's given us a spirit not of fear, but of power. And that is our possession. That is our most fundamental reality as Christian people. So firstly, we are not under-resourced but rather we've been given power. No doubt we are entering a valley. We don't know how far we're going to go down this valley, whether it will be weeks or months, but we're entering a valley. And in the Old Testament, a valley has threat and darkness surrounding it. But what we see often is as much as God leads his people into valleys, he also leads them the other side to show them the beauty of what is on the other side. And the Psalms have been a particular comfort to Christians in the midst of struggle, and I'd urge you to read them, particularly at this time. I want to refer just briefly to Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is one of the darkest... Psalms in the whole book of Psalms. And in Psalm 88, the writer says this, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. We read here a person who has been isolated. They're imprisoned, distanced from those that they love and they're overwhelmed and overcome. We're not sure what exactly has happened to this particular psalmist. But I'm sure as I read and as you hear of the difficulty of being separated from those who are closest to you, of the sense of being overcome by the reality of confinement, I guess the experience of the psalmist isn't that far, at least at that emotional level, from what many of us experience now and may experience in the coming weeks or months. Often when we read a psalm like this, And particularly a psalm like Psalm eighty-eight. if you want to have a look at it later on, it doesn't end as normally the psalms end with praise. It ends in darkness. The last word of the psalm in the original Hebrew is darkness. And many people have questioned why. Why does the Bible have these kinds of psalms in there? And often people ask that question because... They haven't been confronted with the realities of darkness the way this psalmist has. One Old Testament scholar answers the question, why is this particular psalm in the Bible? He answers it in this way. Derek Kidner says, because God knows men when they are desperate. See, there is a language in the Bible for when things aren't right. There's a language in the Bible for desperate times, and God has placed them there. We may not see them, we may not make much of them when everything's going well, where things as they should be. Psalm 88 is far often from our minds. But God has given us tremendous resources. He's leading us through a valley, but He's a shepherd who, in Psalm 23, cares. For his sheep. And so, as we face a situation as serious as this, we are not caught off guard. God has given to us the resources that we need, not just to survive, but actually to thrive, because that's the experience of Christian people throughout history, throughout the ages. We see it in the pages of the Bible. It's in difficulty, it's in suffering. It's in hardship that God, in a particular and a significant way, chooses to work through his people and chooses to work in his people to refine them. God's grace becomes most clear to us in the Psalm 88 times when there is a sense of isolation, desperation and despair. The God of grace gives He's given us his word. In Psalm 119, he's, uh, the psalmist says that his word is like gold. It's more precious to him than life. And as much as we may have in the past understand, understood that as a metaphor, I wonder if in the hardship of these times, God's word is begun, going to become more precious to us. It is going to become like gold. It is the thing that we will see that we most need. See, God has empowered us. God has empowered us. We're not under-resourced. We have the treasure of his word and his word gives understanding to difficulty and gives hope in the middle of difficulty. And that's my second point. We're not out of control, but rather God has given us Love. Psalm 88 says that you have overwhelmed me with your waves. There it's a metaphor of things just crashing, uh, coming at the psalmist. But years later, there were God's people. And those waves weren't metaphoric, they were literal. You might remember from Mark chapter 4, That Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and they're leaving the crowd but we're told in verse 37 of Mark chapter 4 a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves quiet be still. When the wind died down, it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's a tremendous passage for many reasons, but not least of which it's a passage about fear. It's a passage. Where the disciples don't escape fear. You would think it was. You would think that here they were, afraid as the waves crashed over them. Clearly they are hardened sailors. They don't know what to do. Jesus is asleep in the stern. He stills the storm by the power of his word. And you would think a peace might overcome his disciples. But it's not. In verse 41, after the storm is stilled, that's when they're terrified. They were scared in the storm, but they were terrified after Jesus had calmed them. What we see in this picture is a picture of the Lord Jesus. One who has control over our world. One who the book of Colossians tells us upholds our whole world by the power of his word and here by the power of his word he steals the storm, this storm and the disciples and their situation are not out of his control and this pandemic coronavirus and anything else that we might face are not outside of God's control they're not outside of God's control and the reality is for us as Christians is we're kind of like the disciples, we can be scared for what we see before us or we can be rightly rightly fearful of the Lord Jesus see there's no escape for fear there's no escape for fear We can fear the waves, disease, others. Or we can fear the Lord Jesus because our lives are in his hands. And he controls our world. And we'll see finally, he not only controls our world, but he cares for our world. See, we're not driven by fear. That's my third point. We're not driven by fear, but rather we're driven by wisdom. See, fear makes sense in the current situation. Fear makes sense because of how I was thinking in the shops only two weeks ago. I wasn't worried about toilet paper. I wasn't worried until I went to the shops and I saw a person who was about my age with two and he looked normal two big bags of toilet paper. And then without kind of consciously thinking, I found myself thinking, I need to get toilet paper. I need to get toilet paper. And I had to, in fact, talk myself down and, and, and work through the logic of what was going on. See, it makes sense to fear because that's what everyone else is doing. But as Paul writes to Timothy, he says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. No, we we don't need to fear because our lives are in Jesus' hands and he cares for us. And so these moments we're faced with a choice, one of love and self-control or one being self-consumed and self-centred. We can't control what happens, but we can control how we respond And we can respond to the leading of God's spirit such that we would be people of love and people of self-control. When it says self-control, that word there is associated with wisdom. That word there is associated with prudence, carefulness. And so because we're not driven by what everyone else is driven by, because God has given us a different kind of spirit. We can be wise in this situation. We can be wise because it is human to fear a storm, to fear a disease, but it is Christian to fear Jesus. And so we'll choose to fear him and know that he has our lives in his hands. And so can I ask that we as a church respond in this kind of way? We need to respond, not driven by fear, but driven by God's love for us and our love for others. As I close, I want to say two things. I want to say, firstly, that we ought to lament what's going on. We ought to lament the reality of what this means for the fellowship of God's people. This is, we don't meet together as God's people by mere convention or convenience. It's not just odd or unusual. In the Bible, to be scattered is to be judged. And so as we gather normally as God's people, together physically what we do is we echo the eternal reality of what eternity will be like gathering around the Lamb, gathering around the Lord Jesus giving him praise for our salvation that's due to him and in eternity we won't be doing that as disembodied floating spirits we'll be doing that as united full-bodied human people as we're transformed into his life so we ought to lament that we can't meet physically. It's not a mere inconvenience. It's something to lament over. Secondly, we ought to look for these for the opportunities that God gives us. As we've seen, our lives are not out of control and not out of his control. So God controls our lives and he controls the future of our church. And so... We need to take this and see what opportunities it has for us. I don't know what they are. I've got some ideas. I'd like to share them with you over the coming weeks. But I don't know what they are. But I know that I'm not going to rush into them because I'm not driven by fear. There's a sense in which God gives us a wisdom. We don't need to be running around frantic. We need to be calm and wise. Sober-minded. Sober-minded. And finally, we need to pray. We need to bring our concerns to God who cares for us. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to navigate that tension of the loss of what it is to gather physically, but also what it is to be, Uh, also what it is for God to be in control. And so, how do we navigate that loss with God being in control? I think the best way we navigate that is to come to God and pray and ask him to show us. And so that's why I'm going to ask us as a church to gather. I'm not sure how we're going to do that, but to gather this week to pray. I'm asking that this Thursday night you keep 7.30 free and I'm going to call us to pray. I'm not sure what that will look like, whether it might look like something like this, whether it could have a physical element, I'm not sure, but I want you to dedicate this Thursday at 7.30pm to gather to pray and to pray for God's wisdom, to pray that we might be a people who aren't driven by fear, that we might see the opportunities that God gives us and that we might be united and loving as a church. Let me pray. We plead with you, almighty God, to look upon the desires the hearts of your humble servants and stretch forth your right hand of majesty to be our defense against all our enemies through jesus christ our lord amen we're going to continue to pray and elizabeth, elizabeth.